0: parents, please be advised that today's episode will contain content that might not be suitable for young listeners. Do you have a child who struggles with anxiety and you aren't sure how to help? Are you seeing warning signs that your child might be depressed and you're concerned for their physical, social, and spiritual well-being? Then we're so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support our ministry, one way you can do that is by purchasing Ginger's resources directly from her website instead of other super convenient online retailers. And stay tuned until the end of this episode to receive a discount code on your purchase at gingerhubbard.com. Thank you so much for your support, listeners. This enables us to further our mission, which is to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. Do your kids just love getting mail? Do you go to the mailbox with them and sift through the mountain of paper, like coupon for mold removal? Yeah, don't need that, hopefully. Electric bill, ouch. Bathing suit magazine you didn't request? Um, no thank you. But what if your kids went to the mailbox with you to find an engaging current events magazine just for them, presented from a biblical worldview? God's World News is just that, and so much more. They offer bimonthly print magazines and corresponding online content that will walk your kids through current events in age-appropriate ways, from toddlers all the way to teens. Just go to gwnews.com slash ginger to get a free copy of God's World News. Again, that's gwnews.com slash ginger to help your kids build their news literacy so they can better live out the gospel.
1: Well, hey there, Katie. I know you and I are both huge fans of our guest today, so I'm going to make a quick introduction so that we can jump right into today's topic with him. Edward Welch is a licensed psychologist and faculty member at CCEF. That's the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. He earned a Ph.D. in counseling, specifically neuropsychology, from the University of Utah and has a Master of Divinity degree from Biblical Theological Seminary. He has been counseling for over 40 years and has written extensively. On the topics of depression, fear, and addictions. Katie and I love his work because Mm -hmm. everything he writes is from a biblical perspective. Some of his biblical counseling books include Shame Interrupted, When People Are Big and God Is Small, Depression, A Small Book About a Big Problem. I just read that one. It was fantastic. A Small Book for the Anxious Heart, and I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. Edward, since Katie and I are such huge fans, do we get to call you Ed or do we have to stick with Edward?
2: (laughs) I would not recognize. It if you said anything else. So <laughs> okay. If you want me to respond, that is probably the way to do All it. All right.
1: <laughs> we will do that then. And thank you so much for joining us today. So welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. And for me, this is this is this feels right at home because I grew up with two sisters and I had two daughters. And so to be at a uh, dinner table with uh, with women is is sort of the way my life has been and I've enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm right at home. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: And interesting that you pursued a career in listening, <laughs> professional <laughs> listening. <laughs> Lots of practicing. <laughs> well, Ed, you have been on my short list of guests I have wanted on our show ever since we started this podcast two years ago. My personal library has no fewer than half a dozen of your books. My husband and I first learned about you and your helpful books when we were going through biblical counseling as a couple. So, on a personal note, I am so thankful to God for you and the work that you have done in the area of biblical counseling specifically. It has been a huge blessing in my life and in my marriage. And one particular book of yours that I have found helpful is the one Ginger mentioned in your bio called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. Uh, But since today's episode is about depression and anxiety in children, can you help us understand what depression and anxiety actually look like in kids? So how is it the same with adults, and how do those differ from what you typically see in
2: adults? I'll simplify it a little bit and, and suggest the similarities between adults and children a little bit more than the differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the, the core of depression tends to be hopelessness, that that everything just seems it, – it feels as though death has just sort of overtaken life and is, is – is, is just drawing the life out of life itself. And that's, that tends to be the experience. Now, obviously, children won't be able to identify it that way. But adults oftentimes will identify it with words like that. The, the different varieties of depression, they tend to be three, and you, you see it in children and adults. One kind of depression, they talk about an agitated depression, which means that you, 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 you're, you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're, you're reactive, you can, be, you can be a bit angry, but you dig below that and you find it's more complicated than, than mere anger. So that would be one. Uh, a second would be um, guilt, worthlessness, um, I, I feel like nothing, I feel like absolutely nobody. Uh, a third would be you feel depression rather than have, wor- have words for it. it. It feels like a stomach ache, it feels like, it, it just feels like you're sick. Uh, and, and again, that, that, that's, that's very common in lots of cultures. That's the, that's the way depression in adults would appear. I would suggest that, that with children, it's, those three categories oftentimes fit. I'm no good. I I just want to die. That's the extreme version of it. That's that's one way adults would speak about it. Agitation, frustration. Yeah, it's you'll see the same thing with kids. So that's that's basically what you're looking for. Obviously lots of details, but that gets you in the door.
1: Okay. Good. Yeah. Um and sometimes parents are quick to attribute their children's depression or anxiety to hormones or just a phase that they'll grow out of as they mature. Can hormones play a part in these struggles, and have you seen these issues get better or sometimes even go away in some children as they get older?
2: I think what, what we're thinking of as parents right now is, is when the word depression or anxiety is invoked in some way, we're thinking, I am, I am attentive to my child for the long term, I, I am, I'm I hanging in there with my child. I want to understand, I want to know my child even better. So, that's, so you're thinking that there's something here that's not simply going to disappear overnight. There's something here that perhaps has some longevity to it. Typically with hormones, you will find the fluctuations. It seems to be less steady. Some days are better and some days are worse. Some weeks are better and some days are more difficult. Typically, with depression and anxiety, there's that background noise that you experience persistently. Sometimes it's a little louder, sometimes it's softer, but it will be a bit more steady in the person's life. Mm-hmm. So can hormones contribute to it? Yes. But, mm-hmm. but typically, it's going to be something that's, that's a bit steadier underneath it all.
0: That'll persist, you know. Ed, mm-hmm. I've told the story on the podcast before, but when I was in sixth grade, I think was about the time hormones really started raging for me, and I attempted suicide. And I, there was some background to that. The girls at school had been bullying me, and um, there was this isolation I started to feel. And my parents are amazing Christian parents, and so there, there was this uh, disconnect in my mind and in my heart with what I was feeling, with what I knew to be true. But still, that's how it manifested, and I just. Um, it's concerning to me, the, the rise in anxious thoughts in children and the rise in depression. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but anyway- Katie, I, if
2: I could if I could just interrupt real quick. Yes, please. One, one of the things you're saying is important. The, we're, we're using the words depression and anxiety, but we don't want them to be the words that carry the day. Mm. Uh, let's describe it. What, what does it feel like? What does it look like? And, and that's exactly what you just did you you use the word depression but but then you went into it and you identified things that were very helpful depression it feels how can you get your hands around it it's just this this mist that you're trying to battle with but bullying is is something that you can speak with your children about isolation which which in, in your case may have been related to bullying, maybe been related to other things as well, all of a sudden now you feel like you have some traction, you have some entrance into the child's life. So I think what you just did is really very important. The the word itself is it more or less says to us there is something I really need to think about and attend to, to with my child. <laughs> it's It's a little bit of an alarm bell. Once the alarm bell goes off, then we try to find words for it and and the more words we have, the more ways we will have available to us in Scripture that, that can be helpful. I'm sorry, Ginger, I know, I'm sorry, Katie, I know I interrupted you.
0: No, no, but, um, that's fine. But what you
2: said, I think what you said was really important.
0: Well, and identifying terms is, is so crucial. I know in biblical counseling, we spent a lot of time identifying terms. What does this actually look like? How does it manifest? And what does the Bible have to say about it? Because the Bible does have lots to say about it. We may use different terms now, but the Bible has a lot to say about depression and anxiety and how those <laughs> manifest.
2: And, and, and perhaps another way to, to think about that is that in, in God's house, there are certain cult- there's a certain culture, there are certain manners, there's, there are traditions. And one of the traditions is that he comes to us when it seems as though things are hard and on our hearts. He says, tell me about what's happening. It, it looks like you're troubled. <laughs> Speak to me. Uh, it's Psalm 62, eight, pour out your heart to me. Now, and here's the difference between adults and children. Adults oftentimes are able to do that. They're able to find those words and begin to pour out their heart. The challenge with children is, is they are in this land that they don't understand and they don't have the words to say, which is one reason they could be frustrated. Uh, and, and, one of the, and, and, and curiously, one of the things that God does in such a situation is, is he, we come into his house, he says, talk to me. What's on your heart? What are the hard things? What are the great things? Talk to me about the things that are on your heart. And then when we feel stuck and don't have any words to say, then, you, now think of the Psalms here. It's as if what he says is, is it like this? Is it like, you, is it like your whole day is like, is like the night? Where at night you feel like things are more scary and you don't know what's going to happen. Does it sometimes feel like the day is like the night? Is it, is, the Lord is saying, is it like that? Is it like that? Does it sometimes feel like, like you're not safe because your parents are far away? Or, or the Lord might even say, does it seem like I am far away? Is it, is it like that? That's, that's how important it is to the Lord for us to be able to speak to him. And that is, that is going to be probably the prominent challenge for parents with these two struggles. Mm-hmm. How can parents help ch- children with words? and an invite words and an elicit words?
0: Mm. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine recently who is an emergency room nurse, and she has noticed that the rates of children who are brought to the ER for extreme or life-threatening anxiety and depression have increased significantly. And what I found even more alarming is that the ages of those with suicidal ideations and even concrete plans for how to carry them out, I mean, she described you know, kids who had a cord and where it was and how how they planned to do this. Uh, she mentioned kids as young as seven or eight uh, with a detailed plan for suicide. So Adam, curious to know, have you seen a change in the frequency and the average age of onset in children with depression and anxiety? And if so, based on your 40 years of counseling experience, what do you attribute to that shift?
2: One, your first question is easy. The second question isn't. (laughs) So I might throw the second question back to you. Okay. The forty-five years ago, I encountered a book. It's called *The Hurried Child*, and it it was intriguing to me because this particular psychologist, this researcher who worked with children, was finding that children were having problems that were similar to adult problems. and they were even menstruating earlier yes. uh, everything was happening more quickly uh, the struggles that they were having weren't unprecedented but they were more common in in people in the early 20s than people who are 13 <laughs> they're more common in 19 year olds than they were in 8 year olds the language children were using was, was more akin to language of a much older person. Now this is 45 years ago. Uh, what have I seen over the last 45 years? That book was prophetic indeed. Mm. The, it seems as though children are speaking like adults more and more and more. And the struggles we thought were reserved for the 40 year olds who've had broken relationships and betrayal and, and sexual struggles and sexual violence, whatever it might be. Children are using the same kind of language now. So there's no question that that problems in children are increasing, uh, which means that the problems that adults had, it's like they're being pushed down to to, to the children's ages. Um, uh, COVID has accelerated that process. There's no question. But now your other question, I'm going to throw it back to the two of you. Why is this? Why is this? I don't know. Certainly, certainly, with people who have access to social media, social media has, has, has been a has been has been a significant percentage of these particular struggles, because all of a sudden you have somebody who talks about suicide. You didn't even know what the word suicide was. Now you have a language for it. And here's somebody who you're you're confused, you're lost, and people have language for things that you didn't have before. And they're doing these things when they're struggling, and you think that's the way you're supposed to do. So people are being socialized by their peers more and more on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the easy way out. the question, why is it that children are more affected by this? And why is that problem here to stay? Mm. Children will look more and more like like they have adult problems. I the, your, your, your opinions on that, any other con- cont- contributors that you would identify?
1: Well, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's what kids are being exposed to today that they were not exposed to you know numbers of years ago. And so they're they're being exposed to things that they don't even know what to do with. They don't know how to process it. Their minds are not mature enough to be able to think even through what am I seeing and why is this wrong? And and so they're being shaped. Their their thoughts and their emotions and their struggles are being shaped by what they're being exposed to on the screens.
2: And if you don't have a screen, you do have a schoolyard and mm. And you will, you will, the screen will be transmitted to you by the many people who are surrounding you in the schoolyard.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, and I will say too, from our experience, I mean, our kids are still quite young. Our oldest is twelve, about to be thirteen, um, and we have very recently um, severely limited their screen time. And I'm, I'm seeing a trend even in my own screen time, where when I watch one thing, it's going to feed me. Thousands more of those types of things, whether that thing I watched was something I wanted to see or not, and so you know a child who's on TikTok who sees you know the, a video on anorexia, for example, um, is going to be fed continually more and more of those types of videos, and I think these media companies are wise to this, uh, but they're not they're not acting, I believe, in a quick enough manner to eradicate that, and. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, ours are so limited and we homeschool, so they're about as sheltered as they can get um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as far as that's concerned. And I haven't seen in them some of the struggles that I do see in their peers. And I do believe, uh, you know, what they consume in media is in large part attributed to that or what they don't consume rather.
2: Yeah. Yep. I'm sure there are other factors as well. Is The 45-year-old book, why, why did this person identify it Decades ago, right. as this trends long before social media, yeah. so there are other things involved. But it's the reality is that it's here to stay. That we anticipate that our children have struggles that we thought children would would never have. Let me. I'll just give you a quick illustration. This might seem seem archaic, but I can remember when our 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 oldest daughter, who's now, who's now married with children. She came home from kindergarten, in the first grade, and she asked the question at the dinner table Mommy and Daddy, when are you going to get divorced? Oh, when are you going to get divorced? Which, you know, it's not as if we were conflictual. It's not as if she'd ever even heard the word divorce before. But this is what she heard, which for us was really very important because. Questions that we would have never thought to raise with her, conversations we never thought to have. All of a sudden, we begin to have those con- kinds of conversations, and we we talked about marriage and covenants and mommy and you know, how our mother and I sometimes sometimes we differ and sometimes we have little arguments. And but here's here's what happens when you have Jesus. He gives you opportunities to ask forgiveness, and he brings you together, and and and. But but all but that's all to say, we're going to have conversations with our daughters sooner. And when we start having sexual conversations, if we're waiting past age six, then we're probably waiting too long because I've heard mm-hmm. heard things that you know we heard when we were sixteen. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because we actually did do in a couple. Do we do a couple episodes or just one episode on talking to our kids about sex? Mm-hmm. And um, just in kind of interviewing my peers, I'm surprised by how many of them say that they haven't yet and their kids are into middle school. And not only that, how many of the parents, especially the women say they would never talk to their sons about it. And I just, I think it's important for us to be frequently talking to our kids, being present with them in the moment, putting our own devices away and trying to engage and really draw out of them. Like you said, what's going on in their minds? What are they hearing? Um, And I love what you said about being around the dinner table. That's where these things come up. If we're, we're not at the dinner table, and if our phone's at the dinner table with us, it's harder to have these kinds of conversations.
2: We're talking about a, a really a very small step in complicated problems, but the small step we're identifying is such an important one. How can we create a culture where children feel free to speak the things that are important to them? Mm. Because chances are, I didn't know just the, the illustration of sexuality, if parents haven't spoken to their children about it, children get the message, oh, this isn't the kind of thing we talk about at home. We don't talk about these things mm-hmm. to our parents, we talk about these things to our peers, or, mm. or maybe even our youth leader, who knows. Uh, what we want to do is, is somehow lead a culture where we, what we do here is we talk about the same things the Psalms talk about. We talk about the greatest things in life <laughs> We talked about the things that we're so happy about. We talk about our fears, because if we know anything about a human being, we feel like small people in a really big world that's out of control. So here we talk about our fears. And, And then the challenge is, you can't just elicit it from your children. You have to speak about it yourself. <laughs> the, the parent is the one who says, and here, here is the fear that I had. Imagine something like this. We're talking about fear, if, fears, anxieties, and depression. Small steps. But imagine a parent saying, here's, here, here's a way I was afraid today. Kids, could you pray for me? Could you pray for me? Because, because I know if, if the, I know that God speaks... If he, if he knows anything about us, he knows that we're afraid, and we're afraid all the time. Could you pray for me? And then maybe to give the kids a scripture to pray. Could you pray this particular scripture? Hmm. That's, that's a small step, but but all of life is small steps. It's a small step to creating a culture where children feel like they can speak about really good things, they can speak about really hard things, because the... The parents have already beat them to it. The parents are speaking about these things. So that's, again, it seems like a small thing, but but that process of putting words onto elusive, challenging matters of the heart, That's once the child is able to have those words, that's when the child is able to... To understand something, that's when they can. That's that's when they can bring scripture to bear, and, and then they can get to that question. Well, what is it that Jesus says to these things? It's hard to ask that question in a meaningful way until until they know what what Jesus is responding to. What what are the struggles of their heart that he's responding to?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Have you ever been at a total loss for how to explain to your kids some of the really hard things they've seen in our culture or in the news? Sometimes I resort to distraction, like, hey, who wants ice cream? Because I'm just not sure how to rightly respond. This is why I'm so excited about a new podcast that is stepping in to meet that need. The podcast is called Concurrently. And each episode is full of practical help so that we can teach our kids how to develop news literacy and biblical discernment. To find out more, visit concurrentlypodcast.com and you can listen to new episodes of Concurrently every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And, um, you know, that's something that we really need to work on as parents is to initiate these conversations with our kids. And as you said, help them uh, with words, help them to talk about and express what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. Um Ed, I once heard a counselor say, and it may have even been you, that the way a parent can know it's time to get outside help for their children is when the struggle becomes debilitating. In other words, they're so anxious or they're so depressed that they're unable to function in normal activities of everyday life, such as school or socializing with friends or or whatever. So for the child that, that it's really hard to get them to talk or the parent isn't... Um, skilled at, at pulling out what's going on with the kids, what are some specific warning signs that a child might need outside help and that the parent does need to really start trying to uh, pull out what's going on in their hearts?
2: Let me move into um, sort of more gradually. Uh, so the question for us as parents is, are we students of our children? And as students of our children, it means I want to learn something new about you every single day. <laughs> that's, that's what it means to be a student. There's, there are things we don't know, and we are really eager to, to know them. So we, we try to understand our child, and, and as we do, we, we will understand sadness that they speak of, um, uh, because they, might, they probably have language for that. We will see their fears. <laughs> We will see when they don't want to go to school, when they, when they don't want to go to youth group, when they, when they cling. Um, uh, they, they've had struggles going to bed, so we will see those things. We'll see the sort of the smaller expressions of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an opportunity to, to know the child. It's an opportunity to think creatively with the child. Now, what is it that Jesus says? Because here's what we know, that anything that's hard in our hearts, Jesus cares about those things and he speaks to us. Um, it, it might be, simply be, okay, let's pray together. Let's pray together that, that we would hear what Jesus says to X, whatever, whatever it might be that the child is identifying. See, it's, we're, we're talking, about, talking to a professional, but that's, this is the way it starts. it starts. It starts in knowing the child. And let's say that it's hard to know the child. Well, we, we probably go like this. We, we're eager to have help. We're, that's To be a human being, to be a parent, we are eager to have help. Well, sa- frankly, sometimes we're not eager because, because it's a little bit shameful to, to mm. look for help. But assuming we're desperate, the you know, nice thing about desperation is who cares about shame when we're desperate? Uh, mm. uh, we, we need help. And so we, we go to a, a trusted friend. Here's what I'm struggling with with my daughter. Any ideas? Um, you, you ever, you ever noticed anything that, like this? Any kinds of questions that I might ask? A story that I might ask? Uh, then you know somebody from your church who perhaps really has had that struggle with their children, or they have expertise with it. Um, you just you ask them. Any, any thoughts for me in the way, the way I care for my child? Uh, you talk to, you, you talk to their Sunday school teacher. You, if they, if they have a teacher, uh, if, if they're homeschooled. And chances are they have other teachers as well. You ask through other teachers, what do you see? What kind of words do you hear from my child? Here's, here's my concern. Any any ways you can help? You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We have more that leap from, yeah, yeah, I'm frightened, and we move right to the professional. It's, it's probably not that natural because because there are more resources that, that God has given us in our communities than we might know. Mm-hmm. So we... We go through those resources and, and at some point, perhaps the resources in the community are scratching their head. And they say, uh, what do we do then? Well, we, we look for another resource. Uh, and, and, and so I think that's when, we, that's when we get more professional resource. When we love our children, we see our children are, are struggling and, and we want help. Mm-hmm. We want help in knowing our child so we can care for them well and perhaps we want help for some creative ways to, to care for them and to, and to intervene. Mm. So it's, I'm, I'm not quite answering that question. When do you go for the professional? It's more, we, we want to be in that track of always looking for help uh, from, from those who are around our child and, and that, tr- that track might keep taking us to, to a professional level and if it does then we are so grateful that we live in an environment where there are people who invest their lives in some of these kinds of questions.
0: Right. If I could, Ginger, this is a really natural segue to plug at your book, Side by Side, which I've just, this week it arrived in the mail uh, because my pastor actually recommended it. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. I'm not fully done with the book, but uh, I mean, is this kind of where you're going with that, where we've got to be willing to ask for help within the body of Christ? That's why we are a body. We have one another, both to help and to ask for help, and we've got to be willing to do both.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, Katie, I'm a guy, so <laughs> so it's easier for me to talk about asking for help <laughs> than, <it> is, <laughs> than actually doing than it. it. <laughs> to actually do it. So I recognize that there is a huge gap between them. Mm. Um, but um, but that's that's simply our own pride. Um, mm. uh, it's I, I find for myself in those situations I need to start practicing going to the Lord and saying, Lord, help, 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 help. And once I get the groove of that before the Lord, then it gets to be easy. It gets to be natural in asking other other people for help, too. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If we're not asking other people for help, we're not asking the Lord for help. They, they, they tend to go together.
1: So. Mm, that's good. And what I love so much about what you're saying is that we need to be so careful in who we're going to for that help, whether it's a professional counselor or just someone that we know. Um, We want to make sure it's somebody that we know loves the Lord and has the same biblical values that we do, because I found that counseling that's outside the word of God tends to lean heavily on blame shifting and victimizing. Um, Ed, I recently spoke with a young college student who's been struggling with depression for many years, and he finally uh, went and saw a counselor. But from what he's told me, it just seems like the counselor's been doing more harm than good by leading this young man into viewing himself as a victim and blaming others for the poor decisions that he's currently making himself. And the counselor's been saying things like, he's telling me that this counselor's saying, well, you know, the reason you're so depressed is because of all these bad things that have happened to you, things that you didn't deserve. Let's talk about these wrongs and injustices that you've suffered and how they've gotten you, um, led you into depression and, and anxiety that you're struggling with today. And now, don't get me wrong, of course, there's there's it's good to confide in other people about our hurts and the struggles and things that we've been through. God calls us to comfort one another. But from what I've seen, worldly counsel, Seems to never move past that. Whereas biblical counseling helps us move from where we are to where we're going, which is to Jesus who brings forgiveness and healing and help and redemption. And so Ed, that's what I love so much about your counseling books, is they all point to the great and wonderful counselor, Jesus. So so here's the question, I guess. When parents do feel that it's necessary for a child to Uh, they're not able to get that help from just people around them. It's gone so much deeper than that. Say the child is talking about suicide and sure. We want to take them to the word of God and to people in their lives that we know who are going to love them and point them to Christ. But, but what about the child who the parent does feel it's time for some professional counseling? Yeah,
2: And how do you find such a person? This is, this is sort of the lazy person's way when, when we're looking for a physician we, we don't think, what are the 20 questions I can ask the physician to see if the, the physician really has expertise? We ask our primary physician, and then we ask a physician friend at church, and we ask other people who, who've had good experience with different physicians. So typically, that's, that's the way we find help. It's, you know, there, there, are, there are some questions that that we could ask of a counselor, We'd call them up and say, "I'm thinking about counseling with you. Uh, I'm thinking about bringing my daughter. Could I ask you these questions?" That's always good, but but more likely, it's it's going to be somebody who has been referred by a person that we trust. That's mm. that's the that's the most natural and mm. probably the most reliable way of of finding help.
0: Mm. Well, I'm sure we have parents listening today who don't even know where to begin with the child who's struggling with depression and anxiety, and I. I think you've answered some of this already, but what are some things they can start doing today or maybe stop doing today to help their child overcome just this great obstacle in their lives?
2: Certainly, we want to make sure our children are safe. And we've talked about suicide, mentioned suicide a couple times. That's very unusual with young, young children. But if we have reasons to be concerned, then, then that's the order of the day. Is our child going to be safe? Um, assuming that our child is safe, then, which typically that's the case, then then we recognize we will not solve this in a day. No human being, no adult has ever solved a struggle like that in their mm-hmm. life in a day. It's just not the way things work. It's the way our struggles begin to to dissipate is as we're attentive to them, as we ask for help, as we pray, as we, as we search the Scripture, and, and they, our struggles yield gradually over time. So, so as a parent, we're thinking that we're not going to have this magic answer. So it's, it's again, they, it's two things. It's, I want to know my child well, but, but what I want to do to know my child is, is to communicate somehow we are in this together. Um, so, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I, if my child is struggling with fears, I want to say this is a great opportunity for all of us to, to learn about our fears, because all of us struggle with fears in different ways. So we're in this together, we're going to pray for each other on it, and, and then perhaps the conversation begins with just us talking about, here's the one fear I had, and here's one thing that I read in scripture that I found really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. No, is is the child going to say, "Oh, yeah, mom, dad, thanks. That's so. Not, I, I never thought of that. That's there. It is. That's the answer <laughs> I've been waiting for." No, it's not going to happen that way. But then it's you pass the question around the table. Um, where do your fears come? You know, for example, here's the easy one. They always come at night. <laughs> yeah. uh, they they reach into the day, but they always come at night. Uh, we. The noises during the day, when we hear them at night, they're very different noise. All of a sudden, they're a threat rather mm-hmm. than just some sort of miscellaneous noise. So we, we want to know our child. And that, the, that the two steps, we want to know our child and then to consider together, Lord, what do you say? Here's what we know. It's really, really good. It's going to sound really good. That's, that's what we know for sure. Now, help. Help us Help us hear your word. And then it becomes the family, the family mission to, to find scripture, to ask somebody in church, to ask the pastor, what are, what are your favorite passages on fear and anxiety? And we bring them home and share them with each other, recognizing each person in the family is going to be, it's going to stick to one person a little bit more than another. And that's not anything new, I understand. But, but this, is, this is the way God grows us and, and changes us
0: now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents today's quick tip is courtesy of Ed so Ed what quick tip do you have for us today
2: <laughs> uh, the first one that comes to mind is this it doesn't seem like the most pleasant one but when in doubt ask forgiveness of your children ask mm. forgiveness of your children as, as I think about ways I've contributed to my own children's well-being over the years again they're older now I would say it's the time that I had to go to them and ask their forgiveness. Which I don't tend to be real angry by nature, but I certainly have been angry with my children. Those have been the, the ideal times to, to be able to say, you know, sweetie, I am so sorry. What I did was absolutely wrong, absolutely wrong, and I am so, so sorry, and will you forgive me? It's Ask forgiveness of your kids. I could say the same thing with your spouse. When in doubt, just you, 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 don't know what to do. you don't know what to do in marriage, well, ask the forgiveness of your spouse. Um, uh, and, and obviously, if we're asking forgiveness of the Lord, mm. then it's gonna be easy to do it with, with our children and with our spouse. So that would be one tip. When in doubt, yeah, look for ways to ask forgiveness of your Very
0: kids. Very good, I love that. Listeners, if you have a quick tip for our show, we would love to hear from you. It can be any random tip about cooking, housekeeping, something you do with your kids, ideas for fun date nights with your spouse, anything at all. We would love to share your ideas on the podcast. Just go to gingerhubbard.com quicktips quick tips to submit those.
1: Well, Ed, what a blessing to have you on our show today. Uh, thank you so much again for uh, giving us your time to uh, come on here and encourage everyone. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you, your books, and your ministry?
2: Hmm, I, that's a, that's a stumper. I, I would, I would assume it would. <laughs> Out of all the questions, <laughs> that's the hard one. <laughs> on. I, I would assume it's CCEF.org. That's, that's the, the organization that I work with and I, I suspect that some of those questions would be would be resolved there somewhere.
0: Well, Ed, I'll help answer that for you. Yes, absolutely, CCEF. You have tons of articles on there. You have so many great resources. Also, many churches are now carrying um, the little books, I suppose, by uh, New Growth Press that mm-hmm, yeah. answer many, many different questions. And you've authored several of those also. Um, I don't know the best place maybe to buy your books, but I... Oh, Ginger's gonna hurt me for saying this. I bought yours on Amazon, side by side. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But that all being said, uh, Ed, you're a prolific writer and I have just benefited greatly. We will put links to everything we can find in our show notes so our listeners can find that. Okay, Ed, how about leaving our listeners with a final word of encouragement?
2: Uh, Given the topic that we've spoken of, I, I think of perhaps two things. One is, one of the questions we've bumped up against is when do you send somebody to a professional? That's a great question and it's an important one. But is it any surprise that even the professional literature identifies that non professionals tend to be the people who help? the most. Mm. The one who loves the most uh, tends to be the one who is most helpful. So I think the first thing I want to say is that look at your own life and look at how you've changed in your own life and consider who was involved in that. It was, it was oftentimes an ordinary person who didn't even know they were helping you, but, but that's just the ways of the Spirit. His, his pleasure is to use ordinary people who, who love, who come in, in, in help out of humility. Uh, that's, that's what we would anticipate. So the first thing is, please don't, please don't undervalue the, the simple things, the good simple things you do as a parent, and how they are so important in the, in the mental health of their own, their own children. That's one. The second thing is related. Um, value your community. This is the way, here's how life works. We get stumped on something, and we ask a friend for help. We ask a friend for prayer, and we're still stumped. And then the two of us go to somebody else. And if we're still stumped, we pray again, and and perhaps we fast and pray, and then we go to somebody else. We continue to enlarge the circle until it it moves to the Internet and articles on the Internet. It moves to people who might have expertise. But use the community that God has given you as a resource for understanding and helping your children.
1: Mm, Great encouragement.
0: Thank you so much, Ed and Ginger, and thank you listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever it is that you're listening. And while you're there, could you leave us a rating or a review? This is a huge encouragement to us, and it also helps us get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. You can find today's show notes, which will include links to everything we mentioned at gingerhubbard.com. And while you're on gingerhubbard.com, you can also find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering Ginger's best-selling parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, A Mom's Look at Heart-Oriented Discipline, as well as the six-week study guide at a 10% discount when you use the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at Ginger.Hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a corner. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.